This is the Get A Life Podcast. X-Cult Conversations. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. We are joined today by Richard and Carmen, and we have actually two special guests today. Our first special guest is Ben, who is a former student of OSG, and we have a former OSG teacher that is joining us. And we are going to dive into this teacher's experience working for One School Global. And we also want to let all the other teachers that have contacted us before that this is a platform and a method that we can get your stories out to the public while still remaining anonymous. So anybody who has contacted us before and would like to do this, please email us again and we will book you in. I'm going to hand this over to Ben. Take it away, Ben. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, firstly, I would like to just edit that I was a former student of MET school, so Met, uh, Medibank Education Trust, which then merged or t- renamed, because they like to rename, um, rebrand when things get sticky, to um, OSG, One School Global. Um, so you say potato, I say potato, same thing. Um But yes, so I was a former student. I graduated in 2009 and it was one of the worst experiences of my life in that schooling system. I have had many experiences. I've been out of the cult seven years and going to the Brethren High School was probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had to date. But the highlights looking back were teachers the highlights, the, the the reasons I didn't end my life in the darkest moments at that school were the teachers. Not that that I, um, you know, confided in them with what I was battling because I knew that the teachers had no sort of safety net to speak to or to elevate an issue like that because I knew that teachers before, you know, had spoken about somebody being abused or had spoken about somebody who was maybe battling with their sexuality. And then it was either handled by the the brethren CEOs. And then if the teacher pursued it any further, they would just poof, disappeared. So I know that I just want to say thank you. I know that a lot of teachers would do watch this. And I just want to say as a former student, thank you. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get emotional of it, but you were my saving grace. And I thank you so much because in what was a barren experience, circumstance, in what was one of the toughest periods of my life, you were the glimmers of hope. You were the glimmers of reality. And whilst you didn't know what to do or how to handle us kids, thank you because I'm here today because of teachers. And, and you coming forward like this, and as, as you're going to see from our teacher, yes, we can protect, protect your anonymity. It's anonymous. Um, you are starting and part of a mass change that needs to happen because whilst, yes, I was sexually abused at this school, I didn't even get the worst of what kids got. So thank you, and I would like to hand over to our very very brave teacher. Ben, you just broke my heart. <laughs> um, Sorry. 
No, in it, I don't want to say in a good way because obviously your experiences are not good, but knowing that teachers are, yeah, can be the light of the world is one of the reasons why we do what we do. And yeah, so I just wanted to acknowledge that that's that's really special. And I think that's something that the community in general, not within just the not within the brethren community, but in general, is something that the community tends to forget. So it's really kind of you to say those things. Um, so my experience with the Brethren Church, um, if you can't tell by my accent, I'm Australian, <laughs> is that a teacher resigned along with many, many others um, during um, our lockdown times. And so there was a mad scramble to find a teacher. At that time, I had actually left my previous school, which was not within the Brethren system, but was in within the independent system because there's a lot of pressures there too that aren't great. Um, different story, different time. Uh, but, um, yeah, so found myself in need of work. Um, they were initially advertising for um, a terms work with a very strong indication that the successful applicant would be continued on into work. That didn't happen for me and I'll get to why or their reasoning um, in a moment. But the first thing that struck me within when I first came in was that this school looked different to anything that I, I had ever experienced, whether it be independent Catholic schools or government schools. It looked spectacular um but saying that there was some weird things now when I walked into the campus because I couldn't actually go into the campus until two weeks after I'd started my employment because of the lockdown situations I was struck by the fact that there was two kitchens and there was a very clear sign on the door teaching staff not to enter so that kitchen, which was actually the closest to the area where I worked, and there was also toilets that said staff are not to enter, those were the, the toilets that were assigned solely for members of the church, the Plymouth Brethren Church. Now, I suffer from a medical condition that requires me to be able to need to go to the toilet fairly quickly, and that was the first time I got in trouble working there. I'd only been there a week and a half and I said to my colleagues, I really need to go to the bathroom and I ran and I used that bathroom, not realising or understanding why. For those that don't know, um, if you're not within the church, you're seen as inferior and as less, even though I have a teaching degree and a master's degree, which no people, no one within the church, as I came to find out, actually has. Um, I was lambasted by not the head of the head of the campus who's also obviously an educator but by one of two members of the church who were very much involved in the day-to-day -day runnings of the school they were there every day and they were overseeing what was happening in the school every single day they were male members of the church too which again made me feel very uncomfortable um, because I felt like um, I was working within a business, not within an educational institution. To These are just minor things that started raising my, um, raising my red flags. Um, so we weren't allowed to use those bathrooms. We weren't allowed to use those toilets. We weren't allowed to 
go into the same areas um, where, and we weren't to eat with the children or the members of the of the staff who were brethren. So, for example, members of staff that were brethren, there was a lot of um, support staff um, who I don't know how they actually got qualified because they didn't do much. That were um, that were um, education support staff. Um, there was also um, the the um, reception staff and. For those that haven't experienced the um, brethren way of doing things it, when it comes to school, and I always found this quite hilarious. The first time I saw it, I actually laughed out loud, um, was that school children will travel from for far and wide to come to a campus. In some cases, those children were travelling two hours a day to come to the campus and they all arrived in white minivans and they were exactly the same model and exactly the same year. And parents would take it in turns to drive the minibuses. Now, at the campus where I worked, there were 26 minibuses. There were 26 parks, numbered 1 to 26, out the front. We were not permitted to park in those parks. And any for any reason, there was one park that was set aside for deliveries only. So we were not allowed to park out the front of the school. The day that I was allowed to come into the campus and I brought some of my own personal teaching things in, I was actually told that I needed to move my car and that we were not permitted to park there under any wow. reason, which I had to walk a long way to take my stuff in. And I can um, attest for those detestful minibus rides to work. Mm -hmm. Yes. that Well, I thought it was horrendous that we had kids that were coming from nearly two hours away to go to school in the first place. Um, the process of education for kids is exhausting. Any of those that have children ourselves know that they are tired and they are hungry and they are grumpy when they get home because um, the load on their um, on their little brains, on their little developing brains to understand what's happening, um, it, 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 that's a big enough task for a, for a child. But to adding two hours both ways is enough. But those minivans, and it was almost like a ballet, the children had to be signed on by the teachers to ensure that they were on the correct minibus. They all knew anyway. But then the first one would pull out, then the second, and it was in concert. They would all pull out at the same time and then they would all leave at the same time. They wouldn't pull out, like, for example, bus 17 wouldn't pull out first and then go. No, they had to wait for buses 1 to 16 to leave. <laughs> so, Sounds yeah, like it was from Willy like ballet. Yeah, it was almost like bus ballet. The first, like I said, the first time I saw it, I laughed out loud and called it bus ballet. And that's something that, yeah, the teachers that I still have contact with, only one is still there. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, we, we call it bus ballet. So, yeah, that was always hilarious. But the other area that we weren't permitted to enter as, as teachers was um, there was an area that was set aside for remote work. So the parents would take it in turns. I'm assuming that there was some sort of roster that we weren't privy to um, where the parents had space to work. Now, one thing I learned fairly quickly on is that brethren, the, the brethren that work only work for brethren businesses. So a large majority of them were working in this in the set-aside working space so that they didn't have to 
waste time traveling back the two hours that they'd already driven and then circle around again. So they had a, a specific working space that was set aside. One thing that I was really surprised at and one misconception that I had about the Brethren was that there was, and this was probably different to your experience at school, Ben, was that technology is used. And I had I was under the misconception that there was no technology use. Um, and I don't know when that changed because as I said, I was I was coming in knowing nothing. Um, but it was very limited. So for example, each classroom had a TV. Um uh when I say classroom, it was designed very much to look like a modern learning space. So as I said, brand new school open learning spaces, which teachers hate because it's not good for our voices. <laughs> it's not good for classroom control either, as far as, you know, like being able to actually get your message across to the kids. Um, so there was TVs in every classroom that we used with a school-supplied laptop that was checked remotely every week to make sure that we weren't using it for inappropriate um, reasons. Was it um, an open laptop or was it one of the brethren-controlled ones? No, it was a brethren-controlled laptop. So what I, that's what I mean. It was brethren-controlled and... Um, so limited internet. Um, we we had internet, but, for example, um, if I wanted to watch a YouTube video about a subject, um, so we were looking at, Austra at Australian history, for example, which is part of the, one thing that the school has to do is they have to follow the Australian curriculum, which must be a really interesting challenge because there's some things in the curriculum particularly that we as you go higher up in the teaching that I know don't match this, the brethren thinking as far as you know for example biology and oh, geology. Um, Charles, the Charles Darwin theory and I remember yes. our science teacher just going this is Charles Darwin he believes that animals became humans end of chapter okay now on mm -hmm. to like that's that's the extent <laughs> yeah. of their you know fulfilling the curriculum Exactly, exactly. But if I wanted to, for example, watch a YouTube video um, as part of learning, for example, about Australian history, I had to have, A, watched it thoroughly, which I would do anyway, B, submit for approval to view it, and then I had to download it at home to be able to watch it. There was yeah. pre-approved things that we were allowed to use um, you know, as far as internet sources are concerned, we were allowed to use something called ClickView, which a lot of schools have access to, and they've all been screened already. But then there was a brethren screening on top of that. So, um, yeah, so there were certain videos that we weren't able to access um, within ClickView that's already been designed for school use. Um, Teacher Flicks, which is a newer... Um, I'm sure you can work out by the name where that, what that's supposed to represent, um, which, again, is a very similar um, and newer platform. We would not have been allowed to use that because it had wouldn't have been screened. But there was someone that was employed somewhere within that organisation that went through the entire ClickView catalogue and said this is okay and this is not okay. Um, yeah, and that would have been yeah, LSG which, head office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is still um, run by PBCC members. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Just um, for the viewers and listeners to know. Yeah, yes. 
Um, and that comes back to, you know, the members of the PBCC that were really involved in the school and were there every day and were basically looking over our shoulders to make sure that we didn't say or do anything that was outside of the scope of where our influence on the kids was seen to be okay. The thing that I think that, that from from my perspective anyway in the time I was there, that the PBCC members hated was the fact that because they don't go on to university and they don't get qualifications, they could not teach their own kids. They hated that with a passion because we know how closed the community is. Yeah. If they were allowed to teach their own children, they would do it, but they are yeah. not allowed to have to have qualified teachers. And the scrutiny that teachers are under in that context is really difficult and for me that's one of the reasons that at a time when um, teachers are leaving the profession for a million other reasons conversation for another day that so many teachers are leaving one school and going to other schools that still have their passion for teaching but had it crushed um, teaching at once at one school global um, one, was... one of the on just on that note one of the or some feedback I've heard recently and I have heard, you know, from teachers that have left One School Global, they've found it really difficult to get jobs at other schools because OSG obviously has its reputation within the schooling industry and the teaching industry. Um, and, and would this be correct in me saying this, because this is obviously just what I've heard, um, feedback from other teachers, is that, they've found it really difficult to find jobs because schools are like, how did you work for that school for so long? Like we don't want somebody that you obviously at some point aligned or shared their values. So um, they've found it really hard to get jobs or they've been knocked back because they actually worked for One School Global. Have you heard that? Um, I had That's not something that I experienced previously. Um, and I suppose in my case, I was lucky that I'd, been teaching for a long time and when I came in to the um to the one school system um I was I already had that experience however I can understand why that might happen and it might and from my perspective as someone who teaches and and works um within um with panels to employ teachers it would be more about the lack of experiences that teachers are given with regards to um, current trends in education. So what I mean by that is um, I'll give you an example and please let me know if I'm going over pe uh, people's and listeners' heads here. There's a push um, within the education sector for something called science of reading at the moment um, and this is coming back to looking at reading of being more than uh, – what does this picture tell me within the book? Now can you work the word out? Now that's an example of how kids have been taught to read for a long time. What the science of reading will actually do is gasp, use the word, use actual phonics. Now it took One School Global a good 10 years to get to where, where schools are starting to move away from. So in that area. So my thinking would be that it would be difficult for teachers who have been there for a long time to move on because they simply don't have the professional understanding uh, or the professional. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to be able to move forward into another school. Um, they would probably have to do a lot of professional development um, 
I can't speak for teachers in other schools, but they would be somewhat supported by different professional organisations around Australia um, to do to undertake that professional development. But if they were applying to other schools, and I know this for a fact that that happens because I've got a friend who's been applying to get out for a while, um, that she's been knocked back, and she's a very experienced teacher, but she simply just doesn't have the current knowledge to be able to step into a classroom and be able to teach in a way that's um, supported by current research. She just doesn't have that knowledge. And the professional um, development of teachers within the organisation is non-existent. They don't see it as important. Um, yeah, the so view of it. Yeah. On hearing it, this, it's not unfamiliar. It's not dissimilar to all of our situations, you know, leaving what is a very 1960s mindset religious group or cult and then stepping into the real world, you know, where you have social settings and you have other experiences that we just don't aren't allowed to experience. It's not dissimilar, this story. You know, it's, it's the very same process whereby members go through from when they leave the cult to going out into the real world. Oh, absolutely. And I can see that that, um, I could see that in the kids that were eight, year old, eight years old um, that were coming into the system. One of the things that I really struggled with was um, within Australia, you have to have evidence that your child is being educated from, and that will vary from state to state, um, but generally it's around five years old. Um, that your that your child must be in some sort of formalised education that can be homeschooled, that can be um, within the independent Catholic or government systems, but you have to have evidence. So what's happening for um, kids that are coming into the to the um, one school system is they're going to government schools because um, we don't want our children's view of religion being being sullied by a different religion. That's not okay. Um, so they're going to government schools, which are non-secular, uh, and so they're being taken from an environment where thinking is encouraged, critical thinking is encouraged, um, investigating the world in different ways. They're being ripped from that environment within school and then put within the one school system where there's no critical thinking encouraged, mm -hmm. there's no opportunity to investigate the world at large because it is so closed. So that's incredibly hard for an eight-year-old, incredibly hard. Yeah. And there was a lot of push from the parents at the time that I was there to make it a one-stop shop so that the kids weren't exposed to the external world at all. And I could never work out why they started it at year three anyway, and no one could even answer the question why that happened. It just didn't make sense to me. You guys can probably shed more light on that because I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it, it just seemed really odd to me. It's just um, it's just was something set on by the leadership, you know, the golden advice or whatever they call it that comes from the leader. Um, you know, it's at that point I think kids start questioning and start to form their own, you know, taste, scent, touch, smell. You know, they really start to question and they they want to they want to be in control of that from the outset. And they do. Mm -hmm. The only you're right about critical thinking the only critical thinking they ever encourage and they and they do harbor actually capsulate and capsulate that and and turn it inwards they they put the critical thinking inwards so you are spending all your time not critically analyzing the world or the the religion you're in it's yourself mm -hmm. so you're so caught up with critically analyzing yourself you don't have time to question it 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and an example of that, I mean, obviously I teach younger kids, but I would work with the older kids um, covering relief and things like that. But an example of that within the curriculum within Australia, you must teach kids around the, th the levels of government and how government works within the country. Uh, we had to be really careful with what we said and what we did with that one. Um, there was specific guidelines as to what we were allowed to talk about and what we were learned allowed to talk about. Um, so interesting. It, and yeah, how did those it, guidelines come to you? Like, did you have to submit your lesson plans or was there a meeting or did you find out through trial and error? Like, well, how did how did those guidelines come to you? There's a head yeah. of department or right or something. Yeah, so... Yeah, because it's um, it's um, because the school is formed as one school global. The schools that I work with are up and down the east coast of Australia, so from as far as Cairns right through to Tasmania. And the way that we would communicate um, was via Zoom, um, and we would have Zoom meetings after school three times a week. And one of those was planning. So we would plan with colleagues from Cairns mm. um, and from New South Wales, along the Murray, you know, like right across the east coast of Australia. And during those meetings, the the, um, the curriculum leaders would start, would but would tell us that this is what's approved by the church and this is what isn't approved by the church as far as teaching. And mm -hmm. I can only imagine that it, when it came to subjects, you know, I was mentioning before the, the, sub, uh, the science or the strands of science, there was no psychology offered at all. That was not offered as a subject at a secondary level at all. And that's one of the six branches of science, obviously. Um, biology was very limited. Um, anything that was study of the earth, um, you know, geography, geology, that was very much, um, you know, this, this is what the church will approve. This is what, what they won't approve as far as the teaching and learning was allowed, what we were allowed to be teaching. And if our own opinion slipped in there, Big rack over the nuts. That's what I was going to ask. Did anybody ever, did you or any other teacher try and change their perceptions or change their way of what they viewed was important to teach and what wasn't important to teach? Yeah. So an example of that, um, and we'll get back, I want to circle back to this because um, there was a number of students who had um diagnosis for example on the autism spectrum um and I want to talk about how children with disabilities were dealt with and I'm going to say the word dealt with because they weren't supported um but for example um one of the things that I really make sure to try and develop a love of reading with my kids is to teach them how to browse a library and find books that they're interested in so that they learn to love reading um, so it's not something that's foisted on them. Um, a lot of kids, the only things that they'd read were church-approved versions of the Bible. Um, we did have a Pilgrim's library. Progress. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, God, Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. God, that takes me back to Little Women. Good Lord. <laughs> um, I wasn't allowed to read Little Women. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you wouldn't have been allowed to what read little women because little the women actually had um some purpose and some knowledge in that book but you would have been allowed to read pilgrim's progress um yeah, yeah so we did have and some yeah, gay 
Yeah. <laughs> it's their fault. I wasn't allowed We're to read Little Women. We're going to blame Louisa May for, for making you an in inverted commas gay, Ben. That's yeah. hilarious. It was the John Bunyan's um, pictorial pictures of the man without any clothes on or he just had his, his loincloth. You know what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, you know, I don't think it matter which, which religion you're exposed to as a child, but I tell you what, those pictures, they were a sexual awakening for a lot of <laughs> It was. It was John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, See, they just let me read Little Women. Yeah, you would have been fine, <laughs> right? I, really I would have realised that women were allies mean, earlier. Yeah, I'm really surprised they let you read Little Women because, yeah, the fact that... Um, yeah. No, they didn't. They didn't. Oh, they didn't. I was going to say. I thought no. they they did. I was going to say because the 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 um the characters in Little Women are first of all obviously women do, but the fact that they're independent of thought and they're encouraged to actually um do the good. Well, they're ahead the of their time of as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's well no. ahead of its time. But they do the good of religion. For example, the time when um there's a family that doesn't have any food at Christmas, so they give up their meal at christmas time but then What's christmas? But also, yeah yeah um but also there's the part where the main character whose name escapes me at the moment but she goes on to study journalism i mean that's not something that yeah anyone no. proto-feminist yeah exactly yeah. before yeah. feminism was a word lamisa may calcott was a feminist yeah, and, yeah. yeah what are we talking about <laughs> Now, okay, let's get back to these you. unsupported people with um, disabilities. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, oh, that's right. So, um, encourage the kids to browse. We had a library, it was a pretty good library, but it was very restricted as far as subject matter is concerned. So, for example, in Australia, um, we observe Anzac Day, Anzac stands for Australia and New Zealand Military Corps, and that's been observed since 1918 after the loss of life. Of Australian and New Zealand soldiers in World War One. Now, in every school that I've ever worked in, whether the kids are five-year-old or 18-year-old, there's always an observance of Anzac Day. There is teaching around Anzac Day, whether it's reading um, a picture storybook or something like that. There was no books about Anzac Day, nothing. Um, that's just an example. Anyway, um, this student who was um, ASD, was very fixated, which is pretty standard of a diagnosis within that area um, on certain topics and certain subjects. So I was trying to expand her understanding of what worldview looks like, not from the point of view of trying to step on toes or anything like that, but you know, you're interested in this certain topic Let's try and read some books about something else to A, help you to become a more engaged reader, but help you to find something else that you might be interested in. I got an email from one of these heads of campuses and the email stated, please don't let student X exit the classroom. Mind you, these were open learning spaces, so there was no physical walls. The, the physical space was delineated by a half wall with no door um, because of her diagnosis. So the message was loud and clear that because this child was different, she need, they needed to be controlled. Um, 
they needed to be kept an eye on. They weren't to wander in inverted commas because that meant that that child um, who, and with those of us that work with kids at special needs, they need those experiences to be able to develop and foster um, their learning. Um, yeah, she wasn't being given those opportunities. The other thing about that child, single parent. Hmm. Who'd, been, who'd been born in the been born into um PSG at uh, the church, but she was a single parent. Now that was pretty much unheard of. And I'm sure that from your perspectives, that's something that's pretty much unheard of too. Um so not only was this child seen as lesser because she had a diagnosis, but she was seen as lesser because she didn't have dad in the picture. Yeah. yeah. So that child was being singled out for so many reasons and the kids themselves would single her out. She wasn't, yeah. the other kids weren't encouraged to build um, friendships with her. Um, and that, so- that was the case in my, my schooling life from year Mm. seven to 12, every kid with the slightest disability was bullied within an inch of their life. Like it's one thing to be slightly gay, which is what I was bullied for, or slightly effeminate. Um, But, and this is like, I don't know how else to say it, but you used to almost be relieved when somebody else would come into the school that was less fortunate than yourself. And you just knew that it would be a little break for at least a week while that person was bullied to no end. Hmm. And there were kids that were suicidal over it, kids that didn't understand their autism, kids that didn't understand their disability, because obviously the brethren are so limited in in their knowledge of disability. Yeah. They are just in normal human interaction, let alone somebody with a disability, and how to create a safe space for that kid to process what they are or what they're dealing with or what their Hmm. um, ability disabilities are. Yeah, so, exactly. And I think that, you know that's society wide as well. Yeah, you know, like I, I look back on my own yeah. experiences and my own, yeah. You know, even at the start of my teaching career, um, and you know, you'll get some boomers who'll say make comments like, "How some so many kids are being diagnosed? There wasn't that many kids back, you know, twenty years ago or thirty years ago." That's because, like any medical investigation, knowledge grows and knowledge learns, yeah. and there's more things understood as time goes by. However, these poor kids um, within the Brethren, um, my my experience was that it was shameful, considered to be shameful to be different. And as you're saying, Ben, they would be bullied. Um, there was nothing done about it within the community. And if you stood up to it as a teacher, if you did anything about it as a teacher, then you'd get a rap over the knuckles for it. Um, that was pretty, made pretty much evident pretty straight away that um bullying I, I remember in year seven a teacher sticking up for kids like myself that were bullied or a girl mm-hmm. that was bullied for her weight um another girl that was bullied because she ended up having cancer but there were there were people like that were bullied and this teacher continually stuck up for them she just was disappeared she just went yep. And, yep. and I just thought she was the only person that cared you know, I remember crying at home after um, hearing that she had left because, well, then the, the one teacher that took an interest, but that's the trouble. And you'd probably, 
um, be able to attest for that. When you um, pay too much attention to the kids, when you show too much interest, more than just your job, because you are more than just your job, you are human, um, you are then, you know, given the wrap over the knuckles and then ultimately disappeared. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, pretty much what happened to me, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, Cheryl, yeah. I was just say, would you say that these, when you witness the bullying and when you witness the um, hardship some of these kids go through, would you say that it's a hierarchical system that where the bullies or the people that you see have their dads at the top or their families are at the top or they're more wealthy? Would you, would you say that you could, you witness that? Oh, a hundred percent. So the student that I was just discussing, I had another student in my classroom that had um, similar diagnoses. However, the family was very wealthy and they were very high up in the church. So the other kids would leave her, leave them alone. When it came Makes to sense. this other student, because it was a single parent, I wasn't privy as to why it was a single parent. I'm not sure whether there was a death or there was a divorce, which, you know, like with my limited understanding of what happens within the church, I'm assuming that a divorce would be very much a scandal. I do know that um, that partners are picked by within, within the church. And I do know from whispers amongst staff that abuse within marriages is very much tolerated. Um, yeah, but this other student whose family were extremely wealthy um, and very high up in the in the hierarchy of the church, they were left alone. But when it came to this other child, because this other child was a single parent family and the family wasn't as wealthy and obviously not as high up in the church, it was, yeah, yeah, she yeah. was at the centre of a lot of people's ire. Yeah, and they don't and, and- allow, just for the viewers and listeners, um, they don't allow divorces in there. I think we only know of one divorce that's ever happened in there. In this case, if she wasn't a widow, then most likely the dad was on the outside, right? And which and was- by, by divorce, Cheryl, we're, we're talking about if a, if a wife, they call them widows of the truth, if mm-hmm. your husband leaves you, you're allowed the divorce because he left you and has gone out and he's the devil we're talking about the only divorce we know of is a woman that stood up to the the church and said i'm not going back to him yeah he was an abuser and she was given a divorce and she's still in so we're talking about the they're both still in but allowed a divorce so you're not it's not allowed but back to your point about um depending on what part of the echelon within that society you are as to whether you're bullied or not if you are of a disability, that is so, so true. And I witnessed this at my school where a certain family were of what we would call the bottom tier of the echelon, where they had no money. They were a certain family. They were always mocked. Uh, One of the brothers had autism. The girls were ill. Now, it wasn't until somebody from the upper echelons of that society then took her under her wing and made, you know, such a spectacle of being her friend that that family were then put up with that bracket and obviously the leader had a lot to do with them and spoke to them at church meetings. Then they were left alone. But prior to that, they were bullied so much just because they had no money, just because they were, you know, this this family. And it wasn't until, you know, somebody from the upper echelons of that society extends a hand down to somebody lower. It's 
it's not until, you know, that fortunate day that they are then given any reprieve from it. And what yeah, then, and you know, that you've got to be on death's door for that? Like it's a big showcase. Yeah. yeah, and I can imagine that the false charity that would come with that and there was lots of examples for that of that. Um, for example, I can't remember the name of the of the Brethren charity, but um, Rapid Relief was, Team. That's the one. Um, there was we a see big... this today, like you, we see this online, and we, we're constantly talking about it. Where they are posing for Christmas photos, we know that we were like given a, a recent letter that went around saying you you must confess if you've ever shared photos or had photos um, celebrating Christmas. Like the, the the hypocrisy is black and white. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say because, you know, it was it was during a, a tough time um, for a lot of families. You know, people had lost jobs. Um, so there was a big song and dance um, about the Rapid Relief team providing meals for families who, you know, out, outside of the the um outside of the church and I'll come back to the effect of COVID on the church financially and the schools financially in a minute but a big song and dance and publicity about how they were providing meals um now mind you um and those of you who were not in Australia you may not know this but the Sikh community in Australia were incredible during um lockdowns incredible the only thing that they publicized was we need ingredients to be able to to cook meals they weren't making a big song and dance and they did so much more work than um you know maybe the once a week will go out and provide 100 meals type deal which is what the rapid relief team was doing um yeah and but the hypocrisy of that to make themselves look fabulous um that was horrendous and they were using um the kitchens within the school um, to to create those meals. Um, I also found that really interesting too with the whole, you know, we donate with, I don't want to say Gentiles because that's not the, not the correct term. What is the correct term for those of us that are, those of us that are not? Heathens. Yeah. Heathens. Yeah. yeah. Or the worldlies. So, yeah, the yes. worldlies. Yeah, so, we, so they were sullying the, the kitchens, which were... I've got to say, the kitchens for food tech and stuff, which come back to traditional roles, they were amazing. Um, yeah, the food tech programs were incredible, um, but that, it was only girls that did them. The boys weren't allowed to do them. Um, but yeah, well, I did do them in year nine, much to my parents' disgust. It was oh, like, I'm why sure can't you do why can't you do metals and engineering like all the other boys? And then I did yeah. ceramics in year eleven and twelve. I mean, what? that didn't tell you I was gay <laughs> whereas now you know like um and the, within you know teaching in different sectors no one pat an eyelid with a with a boy doing food tech no one would care they would think oh yeah he wants to be a chef exactly yeah, that's what I was gonna, yeah yeah there'd be none of that but yeah the fact that they sullied their their kitchens with you know like food for the for the um for the unholy um, as a big show and dance, um, yeah. The other one that I found hilarious too, which they were still pushing um, on that um, on that rapid relief team, was um, as we know, Australia experienced some horrific bushfires that soon became forgot about because um, COVID hit. And um, when I was looking up and you know, like finding out what I was getting myself into, um, 
that was front and center on all the websites, you know, like how much work they'd done within the, um, as the rapid relief team. But when you dug deeper, um, that relief was only for families of uh, brethren families who'd been in those areas. It wasn't for, it wasn't for the unholy. So yeah, that was quite funny. Um, the campuses um, were going through, um, yeah, you mentioned right at the start, Ben, they like to rename to cover things up. So they started well, building. We have it with their own name, Exclusive Brethren to Plymouth Brethren Christian mm -hmm. Church. Yeah, and it's only exactly. because if you Google Exclusive Brethren, there's nothing positive that comes up. No. Um, so they built a new um, a new campus, which interestingly is next to the church, which, of course, none of us ever saw the inside of. Um so that was interesting in itself. Um, but that was all about smart business decisions and being um, they the facility that they moved from was sold to another uh, to an independent school. Um, and they didn't have to do a lot to it other than improve um, the the internet and you know technology that was available. They even left all the furniture there. They just walked out and shut the door. The, and they'd spent a lot of money in there. And I remember teachers saying that they were disappointed that they'd left certain resources because they were so useful, but they were just left behind. They just walked out and shut the doors. Um, and that was all about a renaming. Um, yeah, it was, that was really odd. And, you know, people talk about the, um, the brethren being savvy business people but that was demonstrated such a really poor business decision it just didn't make sense um but it was all about appearances and you know, coming back to what i was saying before it was built to look amazing mm -hmm. it did look amazing but when you got under the prettiness and looked at the layers it wasn't pretty even down to the to the kids coming in from playing there was a boys' door where the boys had to line up, and a girls' door where the girls had to line up. <laughs> so nineteen fifties. <1950s. laughs> yeah, I know. But this is what? their mindset, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even at high school, we boys and girls weren't allowed to play together, and I hated hanging out with the boys because I was bullied so much. So mm -hmm. I used to find refuge in hanging out with my cousins or the girls. Mm. And it was always the teacher would come over, Ben. You've got to go outside and play with the others. You know, you mm -hmm. can't be in here. So yeah. I go and hide in the toilets all lunch. Yeah. It, I just, that is a perfect example of how bizarre the, um, the, you know, the, what's being expected in the schools. The other one, having taught in schools that are religious schools. So, for example, you know, I'd worked within the Catholic system previously. Teachers are actively engaged in, in teaching aspects of the religion within schools, for example, in the Catholic sector. Um, if it's an Anglican school, if it's an Islamic school, whatever, the teachers are directly, um, yeah, it's, it's an expectation that you will teach religious education in, in those schools. We had no input whatsoever in that area we were explicitly told we were not to mention religion at all in the, any circumstances yet we were being expected to uphold 
certain expectations of the um, religion. For example, you mentioned before, Ben, that you weren't allowed to hang out with the girls. Um, a big one that was a problem at secondary level, not so much a primary, but at secondary was, um, you know, forming of relationships and that's not allowed. That's a natural progression. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's natural. If if you look back into you know like um, you know, history that the that the the brethren would dispute around you know like um, cave people and you know like at the ages that, that um, they would first start mating. You know if we're talking be, because you know we're descended from apes and so you know people would first start a mating when around you know ten to thirteen years old. That's natural that that human beings are going to show interest in whoever they are attracted to, whichever gender they're attracted to. But the fact that we had to police that while we weren't allowed to discuss anything to do with the religion was so hypocritical. It was ridiculous. And, again, those two members of the community that were so involved with the school, who, by the way, were running their businesses from the school campus, um, they had a specific area above the gym that was set up as their office. Wow. Um, and they were doing their business from the campus. Um, yeah, that that was intimidating um, and you always felt like you were walking in eggshells because you didn't know whether you were understepping, overstepping, whether you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing. Um, it's kind of like Big Brother but in the workforce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And coming back to Big Brother, when I first started, in a brown paper bag, um, a um, colleague gave me the book written by um, a former Big Brother contestant in Australia who had got oh, David Chappard. Yes. And that was my introduction to what the brethren are really like. And then I started seeing the signs of some things that were really worrying to me. Um, the was that, did you did you read that book when it first came out? Is that is that no no no? It was given to me when I first started. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah, a, a so really this- interesting side story to that is I I was in his niece's class and I remember her telling us how devastated they were when the book came out, and her and her mum and all the cut sister and whatever went to the shops and they got all the books and chucked them under the book display so nobody could find them but I was like they're just going to order more in of course so (laughs) really they're they're supporting him financially you know like in a roundabout way by yeah yeah not realizing they weren't yeah that wasn't the objective no, of course. I wanted to get it out of people's sight, but if they were ordering more copies, then yeah, bizarre. So you read this book and it started Yeah, so your I read eyes. the book and some things that were really that he mentioned in the book really started standing out to me. Obviously the first one was about abuse in marriage. I remember seeing a lot of women, you know, obviously never saw a woman out of a skirt. Um, but I would see a lot of women in long sleeved long sleeves in very warm weather. Um, I would see tokens that would cover parts of faces. Um, so physical abuse was being hidden. Um, and they didn't talk to us other than saying hello. Um, this was the, yeah, just the, the outsiders. 
token is a headpiece that the brethren yeah. have to wear, the women have to wear, so that when the angels look down, they will recognize who is the weaker sex because women are weaker and the lesser sex, they need the protection, hence the token. Just yeah. sorry, I thought I'd add that bit in. No, no, that's all right. The, when we had school photos taken when I, when I was there, it was quite late in the year because of, of the lockdowns. They hadn't been able to um, been done previously. But the tokens and the hairstyles for school photo day were some of the funniest 80s throwbacks that I had seen in such a long time. They were hilarious. Very musical. Oh, it reminded me of... Um, You'll see 80s videos with, with people doing aerobics, for example, and, yeah, the big hair, the big curls and that sort of stuff. That was exactly what it's like, yeah, like on 10-year-old kids. I was like, what the hell? Anyway. They're yeah, saying so, the higher hair, the closer to God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We've heard that saying before. But, yeah, it, it, I must admit, it was very, I had to bite my tongue very hard that day to not laugh at the kids, which is really unkind to the kids because they're in a situation that they can't control. But the the hair was hilarious. Um, yeah, so the abuse, um, physical abuse, and the other one is because, um, because, and I've mentioned this to you, Ben, previously, um, that, the vices that were allowed are abused very much. Um, the first one is alcoholism and even boys who were at the school were drinking heavily. Um, you could tell um, if they'd been drinking heavily the, the night before because they would come in and you could see the signs of a hangover, um, which contributed to the level of abuse. Now, if you're forced to marry someone that you would never have chosen um, I'm in no way condoning abuse, don't get me wrong, but I can sort of understand why that was starting to happen because the frustration level, um, yeah, of being On both sides. You're also yeah, taught it's... from a young age that alcohol is okay because it's, you know, ingrained in you that it, and I quote from one of the leaders, um, alcohol makes a strong man stronger and a weak man weaker. Well, it only feeds into that you know, egotistical part of a young, you know, um, testosterone-filled young boy growing up thinking, well, I'm a man, you know, I can I can handle it, I'm a strong man. And yeah. then build, build that comes frustration and anger from being, you know, having their marriage approved whilst they say their marriages aren't chosen for them. They are most certainly approved, which is no different to have being chosen. Um, mm -hmm. And stuck in that and the only way to cope with that is is the vice of alcohol and it's also yeah. alcohol um consuming a lot of alcohol is a form of self-harm yes like it, it's it's psychologically proven and explained as a type of self-harm yeah absolutely and you could see it not only like i mentioned older boys but the um fathers who were working from it was called, in inverted commas, the office. So I mentioned that space where we weren't allowed to enter, um, that remote space where people could work during the school day so that they weren't wasting their time travelling backwards and forwards. The other vice that I was horrified by that's allowed is food. Um, now, I'm not one to police kids' lunchboxes and I don't put a value on food. Food is food. However, um, the parents put on 
a special lunch for the kids, which is a normal thing within school communities across the country. You know, for example, at Easter, you might be able to order a special lunch order from the canteen that has a hot cross bun in it. Um, but for those of us that work in schools, we also know that there are very clear guidelines um, as to what you can and can't sell in school canteens and what you can and can't provide kids on a regular basis um, as far as, you know, like what's considered to be healthy food and things like that. Um, so on this special lunch day, the food was pizza, which by itself would have been fine. The drink was Coke, full cans of Coke, the kids were also given um, quite expensive ice creams, like things like, for those of us who are in Australia will know Magnum straight away, but it's a um, really very delicious um, ice cream, premium ice cream that's coated in different types of chocolate. Um, there was... I put a few of those away myself. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are good. Um, yeah, so for lunch, these kids had pizza, a full can of Coke, so full sugar soft drink that didn't just have to be Coke. They had a choice between that and Fanta, which is an orange drink for the those not in Australia or the Europe, um, lemonade, whatever they chose, but it was full sugar. Um, they also had an ice cream. Um, there was a lot of um, nuts, nut offerings, which, you know, we've got to be careful with because if a kid has a nut allergy, can cause anaphylaxis and that child can die. Um, and then to top it off, we finished with, um, a jam donut. Now, for those of us who, again, who are not Australian, I'm not sure whether you have these. It'd be sim similar to a Nutella donut, but it's fr deep fried. So it's deep fried. Um, it's got jam or jelly injected into the middle, and then it's coated in sugar. So that was the wow. special lunch. Good luck to the so, teachers in the afternoon. Exactly. We just gave up. And we just took them outside to play to run run it off. Yeah, yeah. But secondly, to. we had kids who were physically sick because of the the amount of you know calories and the amount of food that was um, that was given to them as a special lunch. And Ben, you mentioned you know like kids were picked on for being overweight. The number of overweight kids um, at the school was really concerning to me and. The fact that um, they don't compete in sports outside of um, outside of other campuses. So Ben, I'm sure you remember all the the, the big school big sports day. Um, yeah, I do. My favorite part was the canteen. Yep, yep. Um, so all the campuses will come together for a one day athletics carnival each year. That's their only external sport, um, and kids are not permitted to. Um, participate in external sports outside of school. So and, they're and getting in general, you know, exercise in general, like you can't go to gyms, yeah. you can't do this, you can't do that. And and they do have a a scripture, I guess, to to back that up, where it's like, you know, um, exercise or physical activity, exercise, I think it is, is profitable for a little. So they'll use that to be like. Oh, well, I'm not going to exercise. It says, you know, it's not very profitable. So, yeah. and I do remember using food as a kid as a vice to cope because it's the only mm -hmm. thing that did bring me comfort were the jam donuts, were, were the um, pizza slices. And it wasn't until I grew older and realised, you know, the, uh, the meaning of the science of food 
do you realize how much I used to abuse food growing up and until I was of legal age to abuse alcohol growing up in there because it was the only vice, the only comfort you had? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just on the alcohol, like I could see um, for those um, not in Australia, the legal drinking age in Australia is 18. There was kids as young as 15 abusing alcohol. You could see it. You could see yeah. the signs of being hungover. Um, I was I didn't drink alcohol at 16, 15 like the other kids because mm-hmm. my father didn't allow it. Like he was super strict. So I, I was always, you know, bullied because of that as well. Like that was another reason I was bullied because I didn't drink alcohol like the other kids. Mm. And it made me, you know, like like you said, Ben, you know, like obviously legal and your parents were very strict, but it made me wonder um, whether those kids were sneaking alcohol as a way to cope or whether they were being encouraged. That's not something that I know the answer to, but still it was well, horrific either way. I can give an example of um, a, a couple of years back, I happened to bump into a teacher in a that recognised me from a different campus and they said that they had an excursion with a certain outer west campus and mm-hmm. basically kids turned up with their drink bottles and their backpacks full of alcohol like these underage kids um she said that all of them had alcohol and they've been drinking all the way down to the um excursion and all the way back and she said when they said something to the campus te- or the teacher she said i i know we searched the bags we've already told the campuses but the adults that their parent family gave it to them so we can't do yeah. anything about it so they shrugged their shoulders and had to turn a blind eye because you were not above these brethren campus leaders you mm. you report them and that's it that they are the ceiling or their kids parents yeah. yeah you're not above the kids parents no and because the kids parents on the school or have the money you're, you're not against you can't get up against them no we um, had a principal from north america that told us that um she had the regional um person come in and she suspected that the kids water bottles had alcohol in them so they went down and smelled a couple um and when they came back up the kids accused them of sipping out of their water bottles like it was a joke yeah they knew they had alcohol in them and they didn't care like it was no yeah. secret yeah and i'm not i'm not pushing a value judgment on the use of um the of you know alcohol or food as a vice i'm not pushing that at all my concern was for kids as young as eight that they were using vices to cope with the life that they were that they'd been brought into um and I said that before, I don't put a value on food. Food is food. I don't talk about good food or bad food. My concern is that not only was particularly the vice of food, um, in from what I saw, um, okayed as such, it was encouraged. You know, that, that, that lunch, if that had been served in any other school, there would have been outrage from the parents um, and probably from the media. But because things are so closed... They could get away with that. Um, so they were breaking laws within their schools, left, right and centre, and that's just one example um, of that, Yeah, which was, yeah, and it which was a horrifying. wouldn't see reason. it as a concern. They would not see that as a concern because it's, you know, it's all Bible, you know, from, you know, based from a book 350 years, 3,500 years ago written, like it's, it's eat and make merry. It's, you know, exercise is profitable for a little. It's all this mindset that they use to to 
formulate their way of living. Yeah, and look, you know, we all know that um, information like that in the Bible taken literally is dangerous. Yeah. And it's also not given historical context. You know, the fact that that is a book that was written two and a half thousand or 2,000 years ago um, based on the work of two of Jesus' disciples um, and their interpretations of what happened. Um, you know, I'm talking New Testament here, obviously. That whole eat and be merry, that's not something that they did every day. Of firstly, and secondly, you know, the whole thing about exercise, most people were involved in physical labour to survive, so they didn't need to go to the gym to keep their bodies healthy because they were doing it as part of their their living. Yeah. They weren't sitting so, at a desk in front of a computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting um, was the involvement of the brethren businesses in the school and the way that the, that the businesses um, were central to the running of the school. Um, every child took business took a business management subject at um, year twelve, which for our I don't know how the US system works really, but my understanding is that a year twelve graduate is equivalent to second year college level of understanding. Um, that's what I what I've been told, but I'm not 100 percent sure of that. So to say that someone who's completed their VCE is a high school graduate in the US, it's not necessarily true. But anyway, um, wherever they are within Australia, so there's a overarching Australian curriculum. Then some states have tweaked it themselves. Um, within the curriculum, there's obviously business studies component, but every single child took business studies. Every one of them. They have to do a maths and an English. They don't have a choice with that according to Australian curriculum standards. They have to do an English and a maths, but it was an additional that every child had to have a business management. Mm. Um, now, the way that um, that graduation, graduation is ranked, there's also school rankings, and I found it really interesting that the school rankings based on um, because external exams don't have as much impact on their learning um, as their, on their outcomes, sorry, as what it does, as what it used to. So in the dark ages when I went to school, your exam might have been worked 70% of your um, final score for that subject, yeah? Um, so, but now it's less. It might be like 30%. So when I was there, they had a um, aim for 31 was the, was the catchphrase, which means that they were aiming for a study score for the school of 31 or above, and they achieved it. Now, my question is how, because I've worked at independent schools with outstanding educators that don't get that level of study score, and my question is, how much of an impact was the campus overseers or the school overseers having on those marks? How much influence were they having on seeing that? Because the whole reason about having a good study score from the brethren point of view is to ensure that more of their kids will attend the schools. 
So within the independent sector, having a high study score is seen as an indicator for parents who are looking for their kids to go to school at that particular school. This is a great school that will prepare my kids for university. They're not preparing their kids for university. No. No, but do you think it has something to do with, um, is it NESA? Is that the, who's the governing board here that, that makes sure you are meeting curriculum, that makes sure you are, um, Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So each state has their own and has different ac acronyms. So, NES is uh, New South Wales, VCARS, Victoria, etc. I don't, yeah. that is a, as a, that study score and, and what creates that study score is, um, is, is set by VC, by VCAR, NESA, whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, my thinking is that, the teachers in the schools are being asked to tweak the marking of the work they have the, have the understanding of to get to this 31 because there is no way from what I saw that those kids were being given in-depth teaching and the opportunity to learn to be able to get that, that standard study score across the school. There's just no way. And um, here in South Wales, I don't know if you had it there, but year 11 and 12, they're doing a compressed learning in a, um, you know, an open plan, um, what do they call it when you've got freedom of learning or what do they, they, they advocate for oh, these? It's just, yeah, it's, it's got a number of, a number of um, things, but, you know, within the, the looking pretty ideas, um, there were learning pods, so there were separate spaces where kids could work independently or with a few other places. There were classrooms, but they were all glass and open, so people could move between those. Um, how are they from these 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 open plan learning systems? How are they getting such high scores without yeah. an end week? Is my my yeah. assumption? And I mean, yeah. we were told by a previous teacher that they weren't allowed to give a score below fifty percent. Yes, and that that is my concern that they are fudging their results to get these study scores. Yeah, and, that and, they are. And Sorry, you ben. Sorry, I was just going to say because you said before why, um, mm. because you know they don't want they don't want to recruit outside people. They don't want to recruit other. You know, they're not advertising to brethren to you know come to our school. Look how brilliant your kids are going to be. The brethren mm. don't have an option. They have to go to yeah. that school. So they they don't need to advertise. They already have their market. But the yeah. only thing that they would the reason they'd be using that is to advocate for why they still need charitable status, why their schools need government funding. Yeah. I think there's a report from 2016 where um, One School Global was the highest funded here in New South Wales. Um, I might have the year wrong, but the highest they got the highest amount of government funding. Um, and that can be from using, like, having the best scores. That way places like um, Nessa or whatever it is, whatever that board is, is, mm -hmm. is not investigating because they're like, well, look how brilliant the kids' marks are, you know. It's obviously not something you'd fudge lightly. So it makes sense with you assuming that, that they must be. Yeah. And um, the other thing is the Australian government at the time, obviously there weren't members of the Brethren within the government at that time, but in the high level, um, the, the people who were the decision makers, so within the Australian system of government, we have prime minister, and then we have ministers who have a portfolio of um, of, of um, 
that they look after. So, for example, it might be transportation or it might be roads. Uh, uh, sorry, it might be um, education. It might be um, health, whatever it is, yeah? 12 of the 16 senior ministers and the prime minister at that time were members of um, churches that um, I like to call happy clapper churches, so um, your churches that were um, that are seen as um, churches like Hillsong, for example. Um, so, my, you know, coming back to the political aspect of that and the funding, and that was the case in New South Wales as well, there was a lot of, um, oh, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to think of, these people that made me get Fundamentalist, fundamentalist, fundamentalist churches. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and they're all about freedom of religion. So um, my thinking is that there is a lot of um, within that government circle of those fundamentalist religions who were not necessarily brethren but were all about, um, you know, freedom of religion, they were also receiving more funding for their schools for great marks. So, um, you know, work, they, they, they had to. They had to support um, that within the Brethren schools because that's what they were expecting for their schools and wanting for their schools as well. So there's a political aspect to that as well. Um, yeah, so. One of the things that other teachers have expressed concern over is they might recognise the signs of abuse, um, physical abuse, child sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. And they always felt like they were unable to take care of that or to report that or address that. Did you find that too? Um, so one thing that is important to understand is that teachers are mandatory reporters in Australia. They have to report if they have um, have concerns along with um along with police officers, et cetera. So there's a, there's a big raft of people that have to report. They don't have a choice. Those teachers that report are disappeared. Yeah, that's what they are removed. Yeah, yeah they the are removed. The feedback we're getting is the teachers that report are disappeared. The teachers that stay on are the ones that report to the CEOs, to the brethren, mm -hmm. the brethren that run the schools. They are, they are kept on. Because, well, yes. you know, you keep if you press for any further action or is there any follow-up or has anything else happened, then you disappeared. So there's mm -hmm. no security. And then that leads the rest of the teachers who knew what was going on because teachers talk, um, well, they're not going to report it or they're not going to, even though it's mandatory, they're not going to mm. upscale it to, yes, they might tell a brethren um, system but within the system, but they're not going to push it any further because, well, their job then is at risk. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, you know, I suppose I'm lucky because I'm I'm more experienced. And but if you're a graduate teacher um, or someone who's just entering the profession, which I'll talk a little bit more about the treatment of the graduate teachers in a second, um, you are not going to know that you're actually breaking the law by doing that. You're not going to understand the implications of that—that that you are actually breaking the law, um, and that you can end up being charged for that. Um, I, in the time that I was there, I did not see signs of physical or um, physical, emotional or sexual abuse against the kids that I was teaching. That being said, I wasn't there for that long that I would, because there was a raft of reasons why I ended up leaving. 
do what you're, you know, you're, you obviously care for kids, you're working with them. So mm -hmm. care for them, you know, come forward and tell your stories. We, we beg you because the, the lifelong consequences of, of the effects of abuse never go away. No. These kids are with them from their relationships to their jobs, to intimacy within relationships because of a position whereby, you know, somebody could have stepped up and said, hey, no, this is not okay. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to alloflief.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video subscribe to get a life and comment.